You may be seated. Uh, it is such a privilege to have uh, Curtis Shields and John McNeil share with us this evening. If y'all go ahead and make your way forward. Um, Curtis, if you don't know, is a child of covenant. Um, his wife Marissa is coming as well as their two little ones. Um, but we are so thrilled, doubly thrilled, that uh, we feel like we have sent you out. Um, you were raised here um, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and now serving overseas. So thank you so much for being with us, both of you. Um, and we're thrilled to hear uh, more about your ministry. It's good to be here. I love the Covenant Youth Group. Um, I was thinking that my last time up here, I guess the only time I've ever been up here, uh, was after a youth trip in 2004. And on that youth trip, uh, Katie Flores taught uh, a bunch of small children and me a song that went, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power of love and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7 and I got to teach that to the 4th through 6th graders last night. So, um, from Curtis from here, this is Marissa, my wife, uh, born in Georgia. Mary Claire, she'll be three next month, uh, born in North Carolina. And Simon is four months, born in Malaysia. He can't be president, but he was going to be. Uh, so that's a bummer. Uh, so Marissa's going to interview me, and I'll tell you about Malaysia. Oh, I'm sorry. I have... No news. I was hoping that I would have gotten a text, but my sister, Rachel Davis, is still in labor. So, anyway, yeah. Okay, so where are you? Where do you live, Curtis? We live in Malaysia. Great question. Uh, You can talk about that all you want. Just don't Facebook me. Um, So it's a Muslim country. It's 60% uh, Malay. That's a race. Uh, Anybody that's from Indonesia or the Philippines, they're not Chinese, but they're Asian. That's the race. 60% Malay. They have to be Muslim. It's illegal to share the gospel with them. Uh, 30% Chinese Malaysian, and they have religious freedom. They're mostly Buddhist. Uh, so that's mostly our church is Chinese Malaysian. And then 10% Indian Malaysian, which all, they also have religious freedom, but they're mostly Hindu. Um, so that's Malaysia. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about Islam. So Islam, it's 1.8 billion people. So uh, in, in my mind, it's Satan's greatest masterpiece. Uh, it's... Uh, Really sad. That's that's our country. That's you know most of the people in our country. Um, the uh, what was the other detail? <laughs> um, I'll just ask you that. So, yeah, yeah. Marissa, <laughs> what does your day look like? Oh, okay. Glad you asked. Um, so, um, our day usually starts. The call to prayer goes off um, about five thirty a.m. It used to be about five minutes each time. Now. Um, it's elections are coming up, increasing Islamization, so it's about 30 minutes, so it's harder to sleep through. Um, so reminds us to pray to the one triune God. Um, Mary Claire was 10 months when we moved to Malaysia, so so far I've been able to be involved in ministry meeting with college students. Um, she makes all my friends. Um, she's a celebrity. We are the only um, white people where we live, and she's got curly hair, so she really stands out. Um, so we're grateful for her. Um, I've also gotten to teach at some refugee schools. There are a good number of Rohingya refugees, which are um, a people, a Muslim sect from Myanmar who are um, under genocide right now. So I'm grateful to be able to be involved with them. Simon was six weeks when we came back to Malaysia, so I'm not sure what my days will look like um, going forward, but I'm grateful to have been involved so far. 
Okay, Curtis, so tell us one thing that's discouraging. The Bible's been corrupted. It's been corrupted by scheming men. Haven't you seen the movies? Why would you ever want to be a Christian? That's what Christianity is. All those American movies with all its sin and filth. uh, That's America. That's that's Christianity. Lies like these that a lot of people believe. A lot of people are told. A lot of people believe uh, that are obviously a great barrier to the gospel. um, Indoctrination into lies and and, uh, discouraging thinking critically. Uh, that's a, you know one of the main barriers that we run into with Islam. Okay, so tell us something that's encouraging. Uh, City Discipleship Presbyterian Church was planted in 2001. We part our um, team partnered with them in 2006. We have five families, and uh, last year during Ramadan, uh, generally the Chinese Malaysians hate the Malay, uh, but last year during Ramadan, Pastor Ming prayed uh, for these. People seeking God, that they would find you, the true God. And the whole church was behind him. So uh, we're excited that while most people hate each other in Malaysia, uh, at City Discipleship Presbyterian Church, people are loving their enemies. Uh, That's one thing that encourages us. And um, it's about as far away as you can go. It takes about 24 hours on the plane. So February 23rd through 25th, if you want to pray for us. Um, but Rachel and Walt and also Curtis's parents have come to visit. It's actually not that expensive, and we would love to have you come visit us. Um, thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, John McNeil is the chairman of the board and the uh, COO at the Love Lady Center. John, we're so thankful for you. Um, we know that we get a lot of you. We're glad that it's just you tonight. But please feel free to come share what God is doing at the Love Lady Center. Well, thank you. It really is a delight to be here. I, I will have to say, though, I'm probably one of the most unlikely people that ought to be up here standing in front of you guys to give a report on the Love Lady Center because there's nothing about my history or my past that would dictate that I would be standing here today. In fact, five years ago, if you'd have said that I was going to be giving a field report about the Love Lady Center, I'd have told you that you were as crazy as the women that I see every day. Uh, and uh, But no, it, it, it's been a real delight. Uh, your own uh, Steve Ankenbrandt's brother, Don, is mostly to blame for... <laughs> I stand here today. My career, just in case none of you, those of you who don't know, my, my first career, now that I'm in my second one, was actually spent in real estate development. In the last 15 years, I was doing resort residential real estate development along the Gulf Coast. Uh, and then returned to Birmingham, because this is home for Beverly and myself, and through kind of circles touching circles, I got introduced to the Love Lady Center. And I went down there and took a tour of the center, and I remember coming home and telling Beverly, I said, you know, I have no idea whether or not my particular skill sets could be of any value to the Love Lady Center. I said, but I know I've just spent two hours in a place where God's working. And uh, the reality of it is, and and every one of the missionaries in this room will tell you the same thing, but we talk about it often at the center. If God doesn't show up, then we might as well close our doors. Because we are fighting in an incredible, for those of you who, who may not know, we are a prison reentry and addiction recovery facility for women. We also allow the children to be with the women. They didn't start that way, but they, they found out over the course of time that if a woman, once she's in a place to be able to take care of her child, 
if that child is in an unsafe environment, then she cannot focus on her own recovery because of her concern about her child. And so that's the reason that now that children are a part of the program. It started uh, in 2004 when Brenda Lovelady Spawn invited six prisoners from Tutwiler Prison into her home. Uh, this was based on her going into the, the uh, work release center here in Birmingham, meeting the women, praying with the women, and then kind of seeing the revolving door of women being released from prison and then in a short period of time being back in again. And that's when she found out that when you're released from prison here in the state of Alabama, you're given one set of prison-issued clothes, a bus ticket back to the county where you were incarcerated originally, and $10. And told, you know, go live a good life. I hope everything goes well. So it's really not a surprise that our prisons are revolving doors for those that are being released from prison. Uh, and so that's when she convinced them to let her take some women into her home. Uh, in a very short period of time, six women became 40 women. Uh, which was actually working okay for her, but, but it turned out she has a little bit of property around her house, so it, she, she doesn't have real close neighbors. But the newspaper ran a very feel-good story about the work that was being done, but the neighborhood was kind of like, oh. <laughs> so they got a little bit concerned, and, and she ended up having to move. And long story short, we are where we are now. We're in the old East End Memorial Hospital over in East Lake. It's just right off of Porto, Madrid, on 2nd Avenue South. Uh, and today, or tonight at the center, we have 500 and about 20 women and probably 80 children. And we are a long-term residential program. That means the women and children live with us. The program takes a minimum of nine months. The average is nine to 12 months for the women to complete. And just to give you some statistics, a little bit from last year, our kitchen, in order to feed all the women and children we have with us, our kitchen cooked and served almost 550,000 meals. We provided 182,500 nights of safe environment for the women and children, 4,327 hours of counseling. There were four GEDs that were earned and one high school diploma by the women that were there. We had 135 of them enrolled in our on-site college that we have with Judson College, and those women earned 555 college credits while they were with us. Uh, and we had 257 baptisms. Now, those statistics are all interesting, but behind those statistics are people, women, women who come through our doors every day, for the most part, with absolutely no hope whatsoever. Their life has been such that either they have made bad choices that set them on the wrong path, or they have had things that happened in their life that set them on a particular path that ended up either in addiction or in prison. But they generally come with no hope or any belief that their life can change. And that's why I say from our perspective, if God doesn't show up, we have no hope of things changing. Because what we have to do is to convince them that what they've been told about themselves and their past does not dictate who they are. What dictates who they are is what God says about them and who he created them to be. And that's where the transformational change occurs. Now, we can't do what we do without folks like yourself. And Covenant has been an incredible partner uh, for Love Lady over, over the years. And I will have to say, one of the best months down at the center, best times and worst times is December. Best times because we have certain events that go on December. Worst time because it's December with Christmas and, there's, and, and family situations that cause a lot of stress and strain on the women. But we have two nights in December that are remarkable. One is our tablescapes, which is an amazing night down there at the center. But the other is because of you folks right here. It is our night when we are able to bring our women from the center 
to hear with you, you folks for dinner and a Christmas concert. And I have to tell you, one of the struggles sometimes that these ladies have is their perception of what people think. Their belief is when people look at them, they see an addict. They see an ex-prisoner. They see somebody who is looked down upon by society or societies essentially turn their back on. So when they are able to get in a situation where a church like Covenant surrounds them like you guys do and loves them and lifts them up in that evening, you guys need to know that is a special, special time. So for all you do that you support us, support us. for those of you who have come down there and volunteer for our Christmas night, for the support that the church gives, we cannot thank you enough. It means, it means more than you can know. Uh, and so I will be around if I, if I can answer any questions or anything, but I thank you for this opportunity or for that brief report. And again, we thank you from the bottom of our heart for everything that you guys have done for us. Well, we have the privilege uh, to hear from Joseph Wheat. Uh, one more time, Joseph, you want to come on up? Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Um, it has just been a sweet time of fellowship. Um, I've heard from a number of people that have thoroughly enjoyed um, you being with us um, here. And uh, I'm going to pray for you and then turn the mic over. Father, we are so thankful for your faithfulness and your steadfast love to us in Jesus. Uh, Father, I thank you for my brother Joseph. Father, thank you for Gina. Father, we thank you for Highlands Presbyterian in Ridgeland. Uh, Father, I pray that you would continue to richly bless uh, Joseph and Gina uh, in their life and ministry. Father, strengthen their marriage. Uh, Father, strengthen their ministry there uh, at Highlands. Father, we are so thankful for their time with us. And Father, I pray for Joseph tonight as he opens up your word that your Holy Spirit would speak through him um, and it would challenge and encourage our hearts, our minds, and our lives. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. And uh, let me just say before we open the scriptures, you guys are so friendly and gracious and y'all really put on a missions festival. Uh, I see, if, I've seen a few of these in, in my life and, uh, uh, this has been very special and I've also loved being with the missionaries and the time that we spent this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we had an hour and a half, kind of a, a lecture slash discussion about Acts 17. That was very special for me. And uh, I learned a lot from y'all, and I, I just appreciate the time. And I'd like for you to turn in your Old Testaments to Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 21. And I want to shift gears tonight. We've been dealing with really kind of uh, specifically missions-oriented pas uh, passages. But the, the theme that I, I wanted to deal with here is, is about purpose, in uh, serving God, purpose, and in, in, in representing Him, and so I'd like to kind of shift down into a, a kind of a pastoral gear tonight. This this passage isn't specifically about missions, but it kind of deals with um, asking a question about our openness to to God and what it might look like uh, for God to to take take a step in our lives. And uh, before I read the text, I, I want to tell you about a, a survey that I read mm, maybe five or six years ago. It was one of the most incredible surveys I've ever read. 
it was only 90 year olds. So you had to be 90 years of age or older to be in the survey. And they asked this wonderful one question. And you can probably imagine what the question is. You're 95 years old, whatever, however in your nineties you are. If you had it to do all over again, what would you do differently? Now, that's an interesting thing to hear from 90-year-olds. I don't remember the other nine, but I definitely remember the number one response of 90-year-olds. You know what it was? I would risk more. I would try more. Okay, if you're not 90, listen to this. (laughs) And I want to ask the question... Tonight, if, if God wanted to do something new in your life, maybe to open up a space in your life for you to seek him in, in a fresh way, maybe, maybe to challenge you to, to maybe be open to uh, serving him in some way in this church. I mean, what, what, what would it look like for you to kind of be open to that? And I know it seems like an elementary question. It is not. And the reason it's not is we kind of get to where we are in our lives. And sometimes after we've been that for a long time, we're just doing the next thing. We're not as open as we, we might think we might be. And, and we get here, um, and we are who we are right now. Some of it has to do with some really hard things that have happened in our lives, um, that just kind of have affected us. Some of it has to do with some bad choices we've made. Some of it just has to do with just our lives and just the routine of it. And for, you know, whatever this great mixture of things is that kind of is your life right now and what your life is like, I'm not sure how you got there. I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, you're here while the Olympics are going on right now at a missions conference. It can't be too bad. And in the pouring rain, but um, what would it look like for, for you to be open to a new thing? Now, in this text, just to give you a little context, uh, this is Isaiah 43. And uh, right at the, the end of Isaiah 42, if you'll open your Bibles, uh, this has to do specifically with the, the uh, Babylonian, Babylonian exile, okay? Um, because... They're kind of in Babylon now, if you can imagine them in Babylon, and they've gotten used to a really not so good life there. And it came out of spiritual failure and they did not trust in God's goodness and they took him for granted. They did not obey obey his word out of a heart for him. And and now they're in Babylon. And so in Isaiah 42, um, verse 24, who gave Jacob, it's kind of shorthand for, for Israel, or Judah in this case, who gave Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned in whose ways they would not walk in whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him, Jacob, the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around But he did not understand it burned him up and he did not take it to heart. Those are pretty tough words. 
Uh, the great news is Isaiah 42 is followed by Isaiah 43 that starts with, but now thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, you know, this wonderful passage, but I want to go down to, to, uh, verses 18 through 21 and what a wonderful declaration to these people as they are reading this in Babylon, it says this, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. See, behold, look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not Perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me and the jackals and ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I have formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time with this idea of what would it look like to be open for something new that God is doing and wants you to see. Um, I think there's two words that we could focus on from this passage that might help us get at, because I'm not going to give you the answer to what God's doing and wants to do. Okay. I just want you to consider what that might be. The two words are in the text, God wants us to forget and God wants us to focus, forget and focus, uh, forget are the words. Remember not. Um, what would it take for you to forget some things so that you could move on to some new things? Now in verse 18, um, remember not the former things, uh, do not consider the things of old. I love the, uh, NIV 84, do not dwell on the past. Now I will say in, in my life, probably in your life that forgetting is not the easiest thing that we, you know, have in front of us to do. Um, the truth is we tend to get tied down by the past. And the truth is, is that, that hurtful things have a way of not going away and things that have just gone wrong that we regret and, and all kind of stuff has a way of not going away. And, and sometimes those things, and that's just a part of what we're carrying around, they have a tendency to distract us. And sometimes they actually can define us in ways that are, are not good. And it's hard to, it's hard to kind of be open to what God wants to do in our lives when we're distracted and defined by the past and kind of like where we are right now. Um, you know, I mean, lots of people have different things. Some people have parents who like didn't affirm them. Some have like this major relationship that blew up, you know, maybe a marriage that blew up, um, friendships. Have you ever just lost a friend and it just killed you? I mean, you know, one of the hard things about being a leader in the church and a senior pastor, Sandy Wilson, you got to just be okay with the fact that you're going to lose some friends. And man, you might keep preaching, but it hurts. It takes like months to get over these things while you just keep on preaching. And sometimes people choose not to get over them. 
And, and that's not good. Um, some people's like their dreams for their life, just like burned, you know, like flying machines and pieces on the ground. <laughs> um, some people had a business that, that went south. Some people lost all their money. Some people, um, you know, had a trust that was broken. You know, I don't know what it is for you, but if you live in a fallen world like me, there, there are things that God wants you to forget tonight. And the struggle is there. It's just right there before you. And it really wants to wrap its like tentacles, wrap itself around your heart and just drag you down and hold you down. And, uh, the people that are in Babylon, we hadn't got anything on them when it comes to wrestling and struggling with the past. And God has this wonderful word. Remember not, you know, forget the past. Don't dwell on the former things. You know, when I was in the third grade, um, and my mom's here tonight and my sister, when I was in the third grade and Betsy was in the first grade, um, my father was, uh, had volunteered to go to Vietnam. He was an F series, uh, fighter pilot. And, um, so he was in Vietnam and we moved to Mariana, Florida because my grandparents lived there. And, uh, so Papa Jack, that's my, my mother's father, incredible character that he was loved baseball. You know, that generation of people, they love baseball. So, so he was like going to be like the stand in dad for as long as dad was in Vietnam, baseball season comes around, man, he comes and gets me and we are going to tryouts, you know, he's going to sponsor me, so to speak. And so he gets there and and like you can, like I can go, I go, I'm right on the edge of being either the oldest player in this league or the youngest player in that league. My boy's going to be good. He's going to be the youngest player in that league. That was not a good choice. <laughs> Pride goeth before fall. So, so anyway, we, we had these tryouts and, uh, you know, you, you got a bat in your hand and these really kind men are like throwing these softballs just to see if you can hit it. Boom. Whoa, good, good, good. Boom. And then they get you in the outfield and throw balls in the air. So, you know, hit balls in the air and, and it's like, okay. And they write some stuff on a piece of paper. And, and so I had tryouts and I got assigned to the Kiwanis club team, man. I'll never forget white uniforms with green and gold, like cursive Kiwanis. It was amazing. And, um, so anyway, the, the, uh, the season was starting and it was so exciting, but, um, but somehow it was very different once I got on the baseball field with the, the, the other boys because I was like one of the youngest people in the entire league. And, uh, and I found that the, the boys had a different mindset about pitching than the nice men at tryouts. And it was always the oldest boys that could throw the ball the hardest that were the were like all these little peewee people and these oversized people just, you know, hurling meteors at us. And uh, so I got up to bat. I'll never forget. I got up to bat. And uh, I mean, this guy, you know, reaches down and almost grabs the grass. It looked like, and he just flings this flaming meteor at me and it hit me right there in the small of the back. Oh man, it hurt. So I kind of throw the bat over and take a base. Hey, that's good. That's good. That's good. So, uh, we, I come back up to bat, I mean, the second time in bat, you know, boom, here it comes, hit me in the same exact place <laughs> in the, in the bat. And I just grimaced and I went to first base. Hey, that's, that's great. That's great. Um, but between me and you, 
Couldn't get it out of my head. I was ruined. Um, the pain, like the next time I came up to bat, I mean, I was like, please let me just walk. Um, I mean, the, the rest of the season was just awful. And like my whole baseball career was ruined by the memory of wild pitches. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Life's kind of like peewee league baseball. Doggone it hurts. And we don't forget it. And we're changed by it. And, um, and we remember that pain. And sometimes people are paralyzed when, when hard stuff, you know, happens in their life. And, and um, we just dwell on the hurts of the past. And they, they, they do become obstacles to us moving ahead. And God is saying to, to you tonight, regardless of how you've gotten to where you are, uh, maybe it's just your routine. But for anybody who's been hit with some wild pitches in life, I want you to know God, God understands and he sees this. And, and um, God wants you to, to be open to something new in the midst of this that you deal with. Like God wants to matter in this whole equation called your life. So, so forget. I used to I just love this song by Bob Bennett. Have y'all ever heard this song called Lord of the Past? It's a, it's a phenomenal song. Y'all to Google it tonight. It'd be worth it. It's by Bob Bennett. It's called Lord of the Past. Listen to these words. Every harsh word spoken, every promise ever broken to me, total recall of data in the memory Every tear that has washed my face, every moment of disgrace that I have known, every time I've ever felt alone, all the chances I let slip by, all the dreams that I let die in vain, afraid of failure and afraid of pain. Every tear that has washed my face, every moment of disgrace that I have known, every time I've ever felt alone. And here's the chorus, Lord of the here and now. Lord of the come what may, I want to believe somehow that you can heal these wounds of yesterday. And so now I'm asking you to do what you want to do. Be the Lord of my past. You can do anything. Be the Lord of my past. I know that you can find a way to heal my yesterday. Be the Lord of my past. Can you identify with that song? I can. I can. Um, Forget, forget. The second word is, is focus. The Lord is saying, behold, forget the former things. Behold, look, see, I'm doing a new thing. It is springing forward now. Do you not perceive it? So there's a question of whether we'll perceive it or not here. Now, I think to understand this notion of focusing, we got to go back to forgetting because I really didn't tell you how to forget. Biblically, how do you forget? Um, it's important to understand what, what forgetting here really is. Um, and, and, it, and it really can be explained here in Isaiah 43 in the context of what it means to focus. All right. Um, Forgetting is not trying to erase stuff from your memory banks. I don't know if you can do that. I haven't been real successful at that. It kind of comes down to focus. 
and, and what that forgetting is, and therefore what this focus on on what God wants to do is. Uh, it, it's, it's captured by verse 18. Uh, do not consider the things of old. Do not dwell on the past. And, and it boils down to this. Where are you going to choose to have your primary consideration be for what your life is? What, what, what is going to be your primary focus? What are you going to, to dwell on? Um, there is something more powerful than the past, and it, and it is this. It is a relationship with God now that addresses our past, that are, is the new mercies of God's grace now and the promises of God for our future. Um, because God's goodness is so great through his grace that his mercies are new every morning. Remember that text in Lamentations? And so the, the case I want to make to you is, is focusing on him and on a relationship with him and on his grace and letting that be the focus can grant what we might call a gracious amnesia to this to all that we bring to him. I was uh, speaking at a missions conference in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, um, maybe 10 years ago. It was a, an MTW conference. And um, one of the days when I wasn't talking, one of the days they said, okay, this day we're going to go out and do, you know, whatever you want to go do. And there were like all these like trips you could go do. And so uh, I wanted to go do like the zip line stuff in the canopies of the trees. And, uh, and so there was a group of us got in a bus and we went way outside of KL to this like really amazing, you know, canopy, like trees I'd never seen before. They were beautiful. And, uh, and we walked over there and the zip lines were broken. <laughs> so, so what that caused us to do was to take a hike through the forest together. But what that caused us to do was to really kind of get to know each other. So we're walking, you know, this little group of missionaries and myself and a few other people were, we're walking through this enormous canopy forest and, um, I'm talking that we're all talking to each other. So, so where did you grow up? Blah, blah, blah. And this, this, this lady says, I grew up in, in Taiwan. I said, Oh, Mr. History, who turns out to be the ugly American, as you're going to see, um, I said, oh, Taiwan. I said, you know, I've, 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 I've read about the whole communist revolution and, you know, about Chiang Kai-shek and how he ended up being the, the you know, the, the head of Taiwan. And, you know, Mao Zedong uh, finally, um, you know, defeated him. But the Americans were for Chiang Kai-shek. And so how do you feel about Chiang Kai-shek? And I thought she was going to say, that is so cool that you understand my culture. And she said, oh, well, I'm not really a big fan of Chiang Kai-shek. Chiang Kai-shek, my dad was a political prisoner of Chiang Kai-shek. And my brother and my sister were shot or or killed by a hit squad. And I was stabbed by Chiang Kai-shek. I'm like, okay. And it was shocking. So we just kind of kept walking. Nobody said a word. (laughs) Like, thanks for bringing up Chiang Kai-shek, Joseph. So I ask a second question but that's better than how do you like Shanka Shek? <laughs> and the second question was a very good question. 
And the second question was just this. I said, how do you cope with that? Have you ever gotten over that? I mean, wow. Everything got quiet again. And I will never forget what she said. She said, you know, um, for years, I was so bitter. And my life was so small. It was awful for years. And then I heard the gospel and and Christ came into my life. I myself was forgiven. I was given grace. I was given the love of God in Christ. And I tell you, it's an amazing thing that with Christ's love and his forgiveness, I was able to forgive these people. I really don't think about it as much as you'd think I would. And I'm not bitter. I, I mean, I'm like crying uh, on this trail. In the gospel, our most important memory, corporately and individually, is the cross. You know, when, um, when, when you believed in the cross, your chains fell off, your heart was free, you rose, went forth, and, and followed thee. And because of the cross, not only has God spoken over your life, I'll take you with all of your sin. I've died for you. I love you. But you know, in the cross, God is is saying to us, I'm going to be your God today. I'm going to give you everything you need today. My mercies are going to be new every day. And in the cross, you understand just this relationship, this focus on grace means that every promise of God is yes. You do understand this, right? Every promise of God is yes and amen. So I don't know like what's going on. I don't know what your past is. I don't know where your life is. I don't know if you're stuck. I don't know if you're just bored. I don't know what it is. But God forgave you in Jesus. God's mercies are new today in Jesus. And all of his promises are yes and amen. And we forget by focusing on this God of grace. So God, I believe wants to awaken you and me, uh, to what he wants to do right now in your life. I don't know what that is. Um, but it, if you've kind of like one of those people that kind of let the concrete dry in a bad place, this could be maybe an important passage for you. Maybe there's some, some kind of hope, some light that could come in from this passage. Um, God wants to do something in your life. God wants to move in your life. God is moving in your life. Um, see, I'm doing a new thing. It is springing up right now. Do you not perceive it? And I want you to know this too. Uh, God wants to do that in churches. It's one of the reasons I wanted to preach on this. Um, churches also need to embrace Uh, The new thing that God is doing right now and and wants to do in the church. It is great for a church uh, because God wanted to do that in the whole nation of Israel. This was written, you know that, this was written to the the whole nation of Judah. And they're reading this in Babylon. So uh, this can apply to you as a church as well. Um, God wants you as a church to appreciate your past. But um, maybe we could say tonight, get your focus off your past. Right now, I'm moving. 
God speaking. Right now I'm moving. See, I'm doing a new thing. It is, it is springing forward right now. Do you not perceive it? You know, kind of hurt clings to the offenses of the past. And just as bad in churches, pride clings to the glories of the past. And even churches get stuck in the past. Lord, help us when we identify a golden era in the church. They're not golden. They're a bunch of sinners seeking Jesus, just like y'all are supposed to be doing right now. You know, these golden era churches, they remind me of the not so famous football quarterback. I mean, yeah, every day he's still living the 1973 4A Alabama state championship. He looks himself, he's shaving, he looks himself in the mirror and he sees the winning quarterback. But unfortunately, everybody else living in 2018, all they see is kind of a middle-aged balding plumber. I mean, that's what they see. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just really not helpful to look at yourself in the mirror that way. And it's really not helpful to have a golden era. And it's really not helpful to have just like a hurtful era and just to kind of swirl in it. In Christ, God is providing for you personally now. Do you want to perceive it? God's moving now. As a church, God is providing for your church now. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing right now, God wants you to see that he's moving. Um, You know, I think about um, how frustrated I get with certain things. And I was thinking about this a while back and, and um, there was this, I'm going to call it a toy, but it's, maybe more than a toy. It's like a torture device for somebody like me. There, there are these things, there are these little red boxes. Y'all all know about these. And they've got these little knobs on the bottom. They're called Etch-a-Sketches. Okay. And um, what is ridiculous about an Etch-a-Sketch? Not that I have issues with control or anything, but um, what, what is ridiculous about an Etch-a-Sketch is they won't draw diagonal. So you have to be like imaginative enough to do diagonal, you know, and I don't have spatial perception. My mother's an artist. I can't make anything come through my hands, my anything or my knobs. Um, and so, you know, there I am as a child, just trying to do an etch-a-sketch and, and like, it's just like this hideous thing and it's an hour and I'm so frustrated. I could scream, but you know, the great thing about an etch-a-sketch, right? you get to shake the box. And when you shake the box, you look at that and there's, it's just beautifully not there anymore. You know, um, in sometimes in our churches and in our lives, sometimes we, we, we're really, we have, we think we've really made this really great etch-a-sketch thing. And so like shaking the box and letting God something new. No, no, no. We have to hang the etch-a-sketch on the wall. You're not supposed to hang etch-a-sketches on the wall, you know, and something's really messed up like in your world and it's just hurt and, and it's, it was life changing. And, um, what is it about people that are not willing to let God shake the box? God wants to shake the box. I mean, I don't even know you. And I'm going to tell you right now, God wants to shake the box. 
I, mean, I don't know just a whole lot about your church, but I'll tell you, in my, the one I pastor to, God wants to shake the box. Because, you know, what is, and, and we Presbyterians, we love the past. I'm not down on the past. Man, we love the past, and there's a proper way to see that, and, and Hebrews 11, and, and all, all, all of that. But, the, you know, there's something more important than the past, really, and it's, it's like, like God moving. The living God moving. It's amazing. I mean, who am I that the living God would actually care to want to shake the box, do a new thing, spring it up right now, and, and, will, and will I perceive it? Will I forget the former things, remember not the former things, not dwell on the past, see, behold, I am doing a new thing? Um, hey, let me ask you this question. So can we finally get to missions? <laughs> I have to relate it to missions somehow, right? Um, maybe when it comes to missions, maybe when it comes to ministry, and I don't mean just like faith promise, but like you need to give to faith promise because that's how y'all support missions. Okay. So don't be cheap. Give to faith promise. Um, God won't love you if you, I'm teasing. <laughs> maybe time to shake the box and the checkbook at the same time and give to faith promise. Um, but you know, Maybe God wants to shake the box with you. Maybe God wants to, maybe God wants to open up like a ministry for you in this church. What do you think? What would it even look like for you to even be open to that? Maybe God wants to shake the box in missions in this church. I don't even know. See, I don't have all the answers and what this means, but I, I, I know this. Uh, I know that it is the exact right time to make a new commitment to missions as a church. And, um, and what about asking God to do a new thing for the life of the world through you? Finally, I love the reason, uh, in this passage that God is doing a new thing. Verse 19, um, it says this, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. There's a lot we can say about that to give drink to my chosen people. Listen to this. The people whom I formed for myself for this purpose, that they may proclaim my praise. I mean, what about, what would it take for God to do something new in your life for the purpose that you would proclaim the praises of God and so that, that somebody would hear your proclamation of the praises of God for his grace. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. It's now springing forward. Do you not perceive it? Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for this passage that comes out of incredible depths of woe, uh, incredible failure, uh, graves everywhere in Israel, in the country that they have been taken out from, and by the waters of Babylon, they wept when they remembered Zion. And um, so, Lord, we 
We thank you that you have spoken to those people, your people, that you're the one who formed and made them. Lord, you're the one who wants them to forget the former things because you want to do a new thing. Lord, we, we are where we are in our lives. We've lived in a fallen world among other sinners, and we're just kind of right here right now. And um, I don't know what all the, the different dimensions of, of people's lives are and, and why they are the way they are in their lives here, why they're not maybe open to what those 90-year-olds said, maybe not open to go for it anymore, not open to risk it anymore, not open to have faith anymore. Lord, would you speak to the hearts of, of these folks and myself? And Lord, especially when it comes to incredible hurts of the past, would you be the Lord of our past? Would you so help us to focus on that most important corporate and individual memory of the cross where all of those things were placed on Jesus and, and, and done away with, uh, our sin was done away with, uh, so that we can now focus on you as our loving Father, the one who gives us new mercies every morning. Tomorrow morning, you're going to hit the reset button on mercy in our life. Lord, would you lift our eyes and our heads to you? And you are the, the one, Jesus, in, in whom all of God's promises for us are yes and amen. And so, Lord, would you create a willingness to, to ask you? Would you be willing to ask God, God, would you open my eyes, not just to my life and the way I live it, but would you open my eyes to what you are doing in my life and the new thing that you want me to perceive? And God, would you just shake the box in lives? And would you shake the box in this church called Covenant Presbyterian Church? And would you do a new thing that is beautiful and wonderful and grace? And Lord, would you allow these people to proclaim your praises, not only in Birmingham with the gospel, but throughout the world. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.